2 Corinthians chapter Second Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse 9. <clears throat> and read through verse 15. The Apostle Paul said by inspiration, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are man made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live, meaning the saved, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Well, the title of the message this evening would be Pleasing Christ. That's what verse 9 means in Paul's message to the church at Corinth. He says, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. The word accepted means pleasing to God. There are two doctrines to distinct doctrines in the New Testament uh, having to do with acceptance uh, before God. Two different concepts, different doctrines. One word has to do with our standing before God in salvation by the grace and righteousness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul said, we're accepted in the beloved. That's by grace, undeserved, favor, and God accepts us in the beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a perfect standing. We're forgiven. We're the children of God. The word means to favor, to visit with favor, to make the object of favor without personal merit or deserving. The other word means to please and to be pleasing to, which is the one Paul is using here. And it has to do with our behavior, our walk, our manner of life after we're saved. And he says, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. 
meaning whether we're dead or alive, that we would be approved unto Christ, that Christ would be pleased. The word labor is not, first of all, the idea of work, although that's certainly involved in the word, but it means to desire honor. We desire honor, and that honor that would be that we would be pleasing to Christ, that he would be pleased with us. Again, these are two different doctrines and two different, the one is for the Christian and has to do with our Christian walk. And the other one, of course, was our initial original acceptance with God through grace. Paul's goal was to be approved unto Christ, both now in his present earthly life and at the last day. Paul said on one occasion that uh, he stated several things. He says, I keep my body under. I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, after I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Of course, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about being approved to Christ, having pleased Christ and being approved by him. Many scriptures I, I could read, but for the sake of time, I, I won't read too many of them. Paul, in his desire to please Christ, he, of course, he was a preacher of the gospel, and he's mainly dealing with the ministry here in several chapters in 2 Corinthians from about somewhere in chapter 2 up until somewhere in chapter 6. He's dealing with the ministry per se, him being a, a minister of Christ in an official sense. And he stated and I would like to read one or two of these, that every time he preached, he was preaching in the presence of God. That God is always his primary audience. And the congregation itself that hears him, that they're the secondary audience. So brothers and sisters, the point is that our responsibility as Christians, we're to, pre we're to please Christ, always. In our life, in our works, in our preaching, our witnessing, Christ is in God is always our primary audience, being witness of what we're doing and what we're saying. Paul says in the next verse, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Paul wanted to please Christ and be approved to Christ in view of the judgment seat of Christ, whether present or absent. And we must all appear, he says, before the judgment seat of Christ. Several years ago, I heard Brother J. Harold Smith, who preached here at Central one time before we came here, but I know he did, and then I had the privilege to meet him in person myself in, at Camp Zion in Myrtle, Mississippi, uh, maybe 20 years ago. And he made the statement as an old preacher. He said, you know, the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a Sunday school picnic. 
It's a very serious matter. We stand to suffer loss. Maybe we won't. I hope we won't. But we can't. We could. We could stand with shame before Christ and weep tears of regret when we stand before Christ. Or we can stand with joy and confidence and with uh, knowing that, uh, as, as uh, it says in the book of, of Jude, uh, let me turn and read it for the sake of accuracy. Jude, Jude verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We may also stand before Christ with exceeding joy. Well, in Paul's, this was the basic motive of Paul's life, to, to please Christ. And in that connection, Paul mentions in, in this passage two powerful motivators. The first one is in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The fear of the Lord, brothers and sisters, is a great motivator. It's intended to be. God intended it that way. We have lost, by and large, the fear of the Lord in our day. We perhaps at times have defined it away as, well, that means respect or reverence. It certainly involves those things, but fear is just good old-fashioned fear. God is in heaven, we're on earth. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, the apostle Paul said, as a saved man and as an apostle, he persuaded men, he evangelized. To persuade men is the idea of evangelizing. And the other second motivator is, is the opposite. We'd almost think this is contradictory, but in God's scheme of things it's not it's in verse 14 for the love of Christ constraineth us these two powerful motivators the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ in God's economy they're designed to do great things in us a great work in us to produce in us what God desires the fear of the Lord the love of Christ they're both uh, powerful motivators. They seem contrary, don't they, almost? To human wisdom, it would be contradictory, but this is a divine mystery. Uh, we find many things like that in the Bible. For example, in, in uh, the second psalm, where uh, the psalmist says rejoice with trembling that seems a contradiction rejoice with trembling we're saved our sins are forgiven we'll never face the wrath of God for our sins and yet we there are things we should tremble about the Lord says he looks on the person who trembles at his word. 
knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. <clears throat> Let me read just a few scriptures in that regard to establish this point about the fear of the Lord. Uh, not that, I, that it necessarily needs establishing in our minds, but just for, uh, it would be good to read a few. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Sometimes we think concerning the fear of the Lord, well, if I mature enough as a Christian, grow in grace, there would be some point where I could, I would get beyond that. No, we never get beyond that. However much we develop, this, God doesn't intend us to ever get beyond the fear of the Lord. It's always a part of our heritage, our personal experience uh, as Christians. We never get beyond the fear of the Lord. We shouldn't get beyond it. And here he says, we, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Then another one, uh, 1 Peter 1.17, uh, if you'll turn there, I'll read 1 Peter 2.17, 1, 17, sorry, 1 Peter 1.17, and let me back up to verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be, ye, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. This is the Apostle Peter by inspiration. That's enough on, on that point, on, on, as far as scriptures will read. The Apostle Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul was earnest in persuading men. Uh, at times I think, Paul, it would have been uncomfortable to be around the Apostle Paul. Not that he was unkind. He was probably the kindest. But... He was so earnest and dead earnest in persuading men that it would have been difficult to have been around him unless we were in dead earnest. On one occasion, he was preaching the gospel to King Agrippa, and a governor beside the king was also hearing and witnessing the Paul's sermon and all of a sudden under conviction he cried out said Paul you're beside yourself much learning doth make thee mad and Paul said I'm not mad most noble Festus but speak forth the words of truth and soberness I'm not mad I'm speaking the truth and soberness but Paul was in such earnestness that he gave the impression he was beside himself almost a madman we would say Well, I certainly don't claim that, brothers and sisters. I, I wish I could. 
But nevertheless, the fear of the Lord uh, should prod us to persuade men. This persuasion, again, as I said, has the has to do with evangelizing, preaching the gospel to them. Of course, uh, we're not given the spirit of fear. That's a different matter than just the honest, sound fear of the Lord. God did not give us the spirit of fear where we live in slavish fear all the time, never enjoying any freedom in Christ, any, the power of love, the power of a sound mind. That's a different issue. But nonetheless, the fear of the Lord is a part of the Lord's dealings with us at all times. And then the second one is the love of Christ in Verse 14, the Apostle Paul said, as the second motivator in desiring to please Christ, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Several years ago, I got interested in understanding what exactly does this word constrain mean? I looked it up and studied it out as carefully as I could in the exact idea of this, brothers and sisters, is what a magnet does on other, on other metallic objects. It draws and holds. That's the idea of the love of Christ. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. Christ's love drew us and holds us. It's a wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, to be drawn and held by the love of Christ. Christ loved us. Paul's talking about Christ's love for him. He said, the love of Christ constraineth us. Paul came to experience the love of Christ in his personal life, met Christ on the road to Damascus, as we know, and Paul became a prisoner of the love of Christ. Paul was conquered by the love of Christ. Have you been conquered by the love of Christ? Have I? It's a wonderful thing to be constrained by the love of Christ. Paul said, who loved me and gave himself for me. Speaking of Christ's love, Christ loved all men in a general sense, and then he loved us particularly in a specific sense. Paul said he, he, he loved me and gave himself for me. And it's wonderful to say that, brothers and sisters, to be able to say that, to know that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And that constrained uh, a response from me. Love seeks love, right? 
Nothing repays love but love. Love isn't satisfied until it's responded to in kind by the object of its love. God's the same way. God loved us. And he desires us to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. I remember hearing a pastor several years, many years ago, one of our supporting pastors, he said, God's love is like a great pressure that seeks to occupy every, every spot that is empty, that where there's a vacuum, an emptiness that doesn't know his love. God's love is like a great pressure that wants to fill that vacuum. Isn't that something? God's love is great. That's the understatement of the century. It's great. It's divine. It's eternal. It's unchanging. It's so great and vast, we can only talk about it a little bit. We can't sound the depth of it. Like the ocean, for example. The many ships who have traversed across the oceans have never come close to exhausting the oceans. God's, great, God's love is that way. It's vast, it's deep, it's wide. You can't see the end of it. Its waves are so powerful that they can't be resisted. You get swallowed up and lost in their immensity. God's love is like that. The love of Christ is like that. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, meaning all died in him. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Christ died for us that we might live unto him. We're not here to, do, to live unto ourselves. We're not here just to have a good, normal life. As much as, as desirable as that is. We're here to live unto Christ and to respond to his claims upon us. He loved us. He died for us. He showed his love. He proved it. And his love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And this evening, I trust the Lord will bless this to you as a Christian May the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ motivate us to live unto Christ, to seek to please him in everything. And if you don't know Christ yet as yourself personally, if you've never been saved, if you've never had your sins forgiven, Christ calls you to come to him. 
Christ died for you. He took your sins and he made full atonement, full payment. And he can forgive your sins. This is a divine thing. Christ can forgive your sins. He can take them away and give you the right to go to heaven and spend eternity with God. Is there anyone who has not yet been saved? Anyone who's not trusted Christ? If so, let us stand and sing, prepare to sing, Brother Heath. And uh, I'll just turn it back to the brethren who normally conduct the invitation. And thank you so much for your attention and for the opportunity to speak to you. We love you. Please pray for us.